if you are listening to this, I would have a pen and paper because I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I think this episode has the potential to make several people millionaires if they listen to some of the things that we're talking about without a little bit of money. I love this company, not just because of what they do, uh, but two of my best friends run it, Nick Huber and Mitchell Baldridge. It's called Ari Koseg, and they have a singular mission to help real estate investors spend less money on taxes. If you're an investor, a broker, or a property owner, listen up. This is crucial information. A cost segregation study can help you unlock the hidden value in your property by enabling you to write off components of your building faster. This means you'll pay less in taxes and have more cash in your pocket to reinvest or distribute to your investors. The team at RE Coseg are experts in this highly specialized field. They only use engineers to perform their studies, and they use the highest industry standards for their reports. Over the past year, they've completed over 600 Coseg studies and have saved their clients more than $65 million in taxes. For smaller properties, they do site visits fully virtually, which makes it extremely fast and easy to get your Coseg completed. They also have an experienced team for larger in-person site visits. Big or small, they make it extremely quick and easy. And the best part? Their initial analysis is absolutely free. They'll examine your property and show you how much you could be saving. Visit recostseg, that's R-E-C-O-S-T-S-E-G.com. Hey guys, I wanna update you a little bit on Fort Capital. We are still acquiring Class B Industrial throughout Texas and the Sun Belt. We're looking to buy deals between 15 and up to 250 million. We're looking for portfolios now. We offer industry-leading incentives, which you can see on our website, that include an additional half a point commission for off-market deals. One thing we found was that our historical contract to close ratio is 98%. So if we're making a contract, we're getting it closed. We have a robust team to deliver an on-time smooth closing. And you can see all this at fortcapitallp.com backslash deal dash incentive. Thank you so much. One of my favorite things to do is raise capital. Always been something I love doing. I love putting together deals. But one thing that is always tough for me is putting together the actual pitch deck, which is really important when you're raising capital. Or whether it's a corporate overview or a track record deck or investor reporting collateral, but putting together any kind of deck for guys like me has always just been tough. And so finding a company that could do it and not only do it, but blow your mind and make some of the best pitch decks you've ever seen was really cool. Enter Better Pitch. Better Pitch has taken the lead and is making some of the best pitch books I've ever seen. And if you think that not having a great pitch book is important when either raising capital, showing off your company, showing off your track record, showing off to investors, you're mistaken. I think your pitch book is one of the most important pieces of collateral that you could have. So I highly recommend checking out Better Pitch. They have an incredible team. They will work with you. And if you're a Fort listener and you tell them that, they will work with you on as many revisions as you need until you're 100% satisfied. So go check them out. Casey is probably one of the most brilliant minds I've come across when it comes to deal structuring. We were just talking before recording and my mind's already spinning and we'll probably talk a little bit about that type of deal, but I'm serious. Today is going to be a really cool episode. We haven't done one quite like this on how we structure deals. Before we get into that, yep. you were a professional poker player? 
Or yeah, you played did, for a living. I did that for about a year and a half. Yeah. What about poker translates to real estate? The unsaid, right? So when you're buying, especially when you're buying, right? It's what people don't say that is really what you have to get at the heart of, right? So how they take their breath, how their lips move, you know, the corners of their mouths, you know, when they pause, a lot of times what they aren't telling you is more important than what they do tell you. Like there, a lot of people won't tell you why they're selling something, but you can hear in a hesitation or, you know, you can feel it if you're next to them. Like there's, there's something there. You just have to explore that. So, okay. Well, then that leads right into the next question, which I think will set the stage for how good deals come about. You've kind of made a living off of understanding what sellers need. Yeah. Yeah. You just give them what they want and it's easy. How do you find out what a seller actually wants? Because sometimes you're not sitting across the table from them watching their you know, lip quiver. Yeah. Well, you got, you've got to ask, right? So every seller wants the highest price they can get. Every buyer wants the lowest price they can get, right? But oftentimes a seller needs something else. Like a seller might need a short close. A seller might need a long close. A seller might need tax relief. A seller might need, you know, I had a, I had a lady sell me a house one time and we couldn't get together on price. And I, I asked her, Hey, is there anything other than money that would make this deal work for you? She's like, I want to take myself and my husband to Hawaii first class. And so that's what we did on my Amex points. And that was way less than the 30 grand difference we were at. Right. Yep. So, and you can, you, you know, not only that, but you can do it with mortgages and options and all kinds of different stuff. It's, can you change the currency from something other than cash to get the deal done? Right. Are there ways to find out what a seller wants without actually asking them, i.e., maybe going through public records and seeing deeds of trust or following a paper trail? Or is there ever a way where you can maybe figure out the story of what they need without them having to tell you that? Yeah, I think sometimes, but I, I mean, you gotta, I think you still have to ask questions or ask brokers questions, right? So you can figure that out, but a lot of what I'm poking and prodding at, like if I'm talking to a seller or a broker, right? And I'm trying to figure out, okay, hey, will somebody finance this for me, right? One question I'm going to ask is, hey, you know, is the seller going to 1031 or are they going to put the money in the bank, right? And based on that, I'm going to say, you know, if they say 1031, then I'm going to say, hey, have you found another property or has your client found another property, right? And if they have, then, you know, I don't know if I want to be a buyer unless I can get a good cash price. If they haven't, then I sit there and say, okay, well, seller or broker, what are you looking for? Because maybe I can get in a second transaction with them, mm. right? So that you may not be able to make money on the first one, but you might be able to make money on the second. Like you might be able to get a, a good enough profit off of the second one that, that you don't need a huge discount on the first one, uh, right? Yep. And if they say, hey, I'm going to put the money in the bank, I ask them, okay, well, what are you making at the bank? Three, 4%. Okay. Well, what if, you know, what if you got 20% more? Would that help on something that you like? How would you get them 20% more? Well, I, I, I 
give them I'd give them five percent, right? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah a, that's twenty percent. Yeah, 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 on a sellerify deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So hey, you're already you already know this asset. You're comfortable with it. You're just going to put the money in the bank. The bank's not going to. I mean, bank's great and safe, but it's not going to give you as much money as I would. You know, would that? Would you like to do that? And they say, Casey, I've never met you before. The bank seems pretty solid. It's a, I can drive there. They've been around a long time. I've never met you. Even if you're giving me 20% more, how do I, is that, is the risk worth, is the risk worth the reward? And you're trying to convince them of that in a relatively short period of time. How would you do that? I would say, Hey, Chris, how much do you like paying taxes? Okay. Okay. And so, you know, based on the size of the deal we do, you're probably going to save anywhere from 15 to 22% on taxes if you take an installment sale or, or finance the property, right? And so some, you know, PE people are going to say no to me because they're trying to, you know, spin, buy, sell, flip as quickly as possible. But somebody that's older and thinks that Uncle Sam doesn't spend their money wisely and would like to save, you know, 20-ish percent on their taxes and do better than they could at a bank on something that they know what it is and is secured by makes a lot of sense for them. So I'm a PE guy that also doesn't think Uncle Sam spends my dollars wisely, just to be clear. Okay. So you actually think answered the next question, which was just, could you give a little color to do individuals tend to want things that like companies or professional investors don't? Was, was that kind of the answer? Like, do you think about them differently, obviously? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't do a lot of deals with institutional people. Yeah. I, I just, I don't. I'm sub-institutional. I know my lane and I kind of stay in my lane. But I know people, right? And I know that, you know, I, I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they're like, why can't we get this deal done? We're giving them a ridiculous amount of money. I'm like, they don't want money. Well, they want money, but they also want you to buy them a new house and they want you to move them there. And that's how you get this. You go buy them a new house and offer to move them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick, go back. You said I can save you 15 to 20%. You said installment sale. What's an installment sale? Yeah. An installment sale is just payments essentially. Okay. Um, so you know, I'm the seller. You come to me, you say, I'll buy it for a million bucks. I say, deal. Deal, right? And okay. Installment sale. So installment sale. So you're going to finance it to me and we're going to agree on, you know, what I'm going to give you down and the terms, right? And I'm going to pay you over time. Okay. Okay. And so that's one way I can pay a higher price. And that's the way I'm getting deals done right now because the for context, if you listen or watch this later, Right now, interest rates are at 8%. The bid-ask spread between buyers and sellers is is a wide gap, and people can't, you know, they can't make deals pencil, right? So I'm getting deals done by off basically asking the seller, hey, will you do an installment sale? Will you seller finance? I can give you a higher price. My terms, I'll give you a higher price. You got to do terms that I like, which are below market interest rates and, and a longer-term deal. but most people are keyed up to, they want to fight you on price. Yeah. I mean, they're all keyed up to fight you on price. So <laughs> if you just say to them, hey, I'll scratch your back and you scratch my back, you know, it, it'll work out for both of us. You know, sometimes, sometimes you can do a deal. And you would be willing to pay more than maybe a property's worth because 
because I can make it up in the financing. Got right? it. So most buyers that I buy from don't have a time value of money calculator, right? Yeah. And so all the finance bros out there are going to be like, no, we'd never take this. We can do the math. <laughs> well, yeah, you can do the math. That's fine, right? But but most of the finance bros would raise rents like crazy on on grandma and grandpa too, right? So yeah. there's there's a balance there. Yeah. So. Okay, but how would I, if I sold it to you there, how would I save money paying taxes in an installment sale? Is that what you said? Yeah. So you you're going to save money in taxes by so couple ways, right? So well, let me start with this. So it when you sell, it depends on when you bought, right? So you can have short-term tax, what is it? Short-term capital, capital gains, gains and long-term capital gains, excuse yeah. me, right? You clearly don't pay a lot of taxes. <laughs> I, I pay my fair share like everybody else. I was going to say, you're probably just a whiz. You no, just know how to- I don't know about them. that. So if you sell within a year, you're going to have short-term capital gains, okay. right? If you sell after a year, you're going to have long-term capital gains, right? If you charge interest, interest is- taxed at ordinary income rates, right? Yeah. So ordinary income rates based, you know, it, it's graduated based on what your tax rate is, okay. right? But in a commercial deal, most of the time, you're you're going to be in one of those top two or three brackets. Yeah. Because, you know, the sale is going to be a million dollars or more, right? Yeah. So instead of a big interest rate, why don't we just raise the price, Right. So if we raise the price, you get taxed at long-term capital gains then instead of ordinary income. So that's, I, 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 gotcha. I tweeted something the other day with a table of a breakdown. I can't, I can't tell you because there's, you know, five or six or seven tax brackets and it, yeah. it goes up or down. But it's like the difference between 15% and like 37 or 38%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, you, you alluded to, I do sub-institutional deals. Will you just actually describe the type of deals that you're looking for? What's characteristics of them? Sure. Asset class, capital stack, geography. Yeah. Geography, America, land okay. of the free, home of the brave, okay. right? <laughs> capital stack. I try to just use seller financing when I can, but I can't always, right? And so I will call a friend or text a friend on occasion and say, hey, you want to invest in something with me? What was the third thing you asked me? Do you invest across the capital stack or asset class? Are you ag asset I'm, class I'm, agnostic? I'm pretty agnostic. I'll buy almost anything. I won't buy anything. I don't want to get caught with something that I absolutely know I can't move, but most stuff I know I can move. And, and stuff, if I'm going to hold, I don't really like anything that's hospitality related or, or high touch, if you will. Okay. If you have a pretty big sandbox. Yeah. How do you find deals? If America, like, is it just every broker in America knows who you are? And how do you source? What do you... But this is going to probably put a stop to that. <laughs> so... <laughs> the goal. Yeah. Okay. His uh, email address will be yeah, in the show yeah. notes to send him your deals. <laughs> send Chris Powers a commission check. Okay. So the question is, how do I find a deal or... Yeah. How do you source deals? I mean, when I think of class, like for me... Class B industrial and the Sunbelt. I yeah. want everybody in the Sunbelt to know if you think of those two things, Sunbelt, Class B industrial, I'm your guy. Yeah. You're kind of saying a lot is, I'm your yeah. guy for a lot of things. So how do people find you? How do you see deals? 
Well, I just, I, I just, one, I look for opportunities, right? I'm saying, you know, right now I want something between two and 15 million sub-institutional, probably an older seller, right? So I'm looking for somebody that wants to give me seller financing that yeah. wants a higher price, right? Okay. Or I'm trying to find something with, uh, you know, I'm opportunistic, so I'm trying to find something with upside or that I've got a different take on kind of. So that's, or if I can fix a problem, right? And yeah. I'm pretty decent at fixing problems. And, and that's kind of the reputation you've been building within the industry is like, if we have a headache, call Casey. Yeah, yeah. The doctor. Well, it's like, so broker calls me the other day, right? And he says, hey, you told me to call you. He's out of Colorado, I think. He told me to call you when I had a buyer and a seller and they're close, right? And my seller needs 8.5 million for this deal. And my buyer's at eight, right? Can you help me? I said, uh, well, maybe. Does your seller have equity? Yeah, they've got, you know, 4 million in equity. Okay. Will they finance? Yeah, they'll finance. Okay. Well, what if I came in and I bought for eight and a half million and I sold for eight million? Okay. And I'll take that loss as a short term loss. Now, you're saying finance bros, why are you crazy? They're going nuts. Oh my gosh, they're going to hate me. (laughs) Come at me. You don't want to come at me. I'm just telling you now. They're saying, why would you lose half a million dollars? Right. And it's because I know that if I get the financing that I want, let's, in this deal, I think uh, he was going to finance two and a half million dollars, right? Yep. Eight years at like, I don't know, 4%, something like that. I know that if I went and got a loan at 8% or 8.5% or whatever it is now, that one, for eight years, just the interest, I'd save a million dollars in interest between the difference from, from a bank note and my note, right? Yep. The other thing I know is, is that I'm going to make that debt walkable, and we can talk about that later, where I can, I can move the debt from property to property. Okay. And, and that's pretty advantageous for me too, right? And so what happens at closing, right? Buyer brings $8 million, okay? The seller has to pay off $4 million in debt, okay? The seller wants another $1.5 million in their pocket. So $4 million plus $1.5 is $5.5, right? And then what the other $2 million or $2.5 million is extra. Well, with walkable debt, I don't have to pay that off at closing. I'll move the mortgage to another property. I'll put that $2 million, is it two or two and a half in my pocket? Yep. And I'll go buy something else and I'll put that mortgage on whatever I buy. So, you know, what's the result of that? Okay. One broker gets paid. Brokers, if you're close and you can't make it, you call, know, you know who to call. Call right? the doctor. Call the doctor, right? Broker gets paid. Seller gets paid. Buyer gets to buy. I get some really great financing. So it kind of, it works for everybody. Yeah. You just, you've got to have willing counterparties. Okay. You said that now is one of the best seller financing opportunities that you've seen in the last 10 to 15 years. So I think let's just, let's get like basic 101 out. We understand what seller financing is. Okay. Why is it the best time right now to be doing seller financing? Yeah. 
banks don't have liquidity, okay. right? So nobody's lending, right? Sellers have an expectation expectation of a higher price because they've seen that yesterday, but yesterday isn't today. And buyers, you know, that's it, let's say 8% right now, 8% interest rates, right? So when you see people selling at six caps, that means they're negative leverage or they're going to lose money essentially, right? So why seller financing is so great right now is, hey, you know, Typically, in the PE model, you need 150 to 200 basis points to make a deal pencil, right? Uh, you know, you want to call it cap rate, unlevered yield on cost, whatever you want to call it. So nobody's buying because every, everything's negative leverage. But I'm buying because I'm going to get the seller to finance at that 150, 200 basis points, maybe less. So instead of 8% interest rate, I might be at four and I can buy a six cap. Right. Right. And I can buy all day and everybody else can sit on their hands and pound sand. Finance bros. Yeah. Yeah. Finance bros. Yeah. If you, you haven't figured it out, we're coming for you. Yeah. Yeah. How long are the notes that you're trying to structure? Are they typical five-year notes? Or are you trying to get 10, 15, 20-year paper? Or? Yeah. I try to get it as long as I can. The, the lowest I'll go is five, but the deals, you know, it's got to be long enough for the deal to pay for itself. Right. You know? So you got to put it in a calculator. But if I do five, I really like to get an extension. So, and I'll, you know, I'll pay, I'll, I'll pay for an extension, that, but an extension, you know, extension is good for both sides and it can be good for both sides because one, if I pay for an extension, then the seller's happy that they got additional funds, right? Yep. But it's also good because if the seller has, if the seller, the year that that balloon is due, if I pay them all that money, they're going to pay Uncle Sam 40, 50% yep. of that. Yep. And I don't know about you, but I still don't think that they manage it well. So instead of that, hey, why don't we extend it and keep going, right? And hey, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you more money now, or I'll give you bigger payments, right? Or we'll increase the principal balance or come along for the ride. I'll help you. You'll help me. And the way you help me is, is that if interest rates are high, when that balloon comes due, that's risk. That's big risk for me. So, you know, you're helping me. I'm helping you. Let me pay you a little more. Don't pay Uncle Sam. Yeah. We'll just go on down the road. And and real quick though, when they sell or finance, so let's say I owned a property for, I bought a property for a dollar yep. and you bought it for me for a million. Okay. And I own or financed a hundred percent of it. Yep. Am I paying gains on the one to one million at that transaction? Because technically I don't own it anymore. And I took a gain, even though I turned it back into a note. Yeah. So you're taking gains at that, at, at your tax bracket level, right? Correct. And and whatever that capital gains table says, long-term capital gains, that's where that's where you're getting taxed at. Yeah. But you're not getting taxed as heavily as you would otherwise. Right? Why? I'm still not hit, I'm not getting there. Well, you're not getting taxed as heavily because the government gives you a discount, essentially. Oh, okay. So cool. Yeah. Walkable debt. Yeah. That's important to you. Yeah, it's great. Is it a must? No, it's not a must necessarily. What is it? Yeah. So walkable debt is just being, a, so let me caveat by saying walkable debt, you will not get at a traditional lender. Okay. So it's, it's strictly a seller financing 
proclivity, if you will. So it's, you've got property A, Chris is going to, he's going to give me seller financing. Okay. And it's going to have a sentence or two in there that talks about walkable debt in it. Right. And it's, I'm going to take that debt and I'm going to move it from Chris's property, property A, to a second property, property B, right? Now, in doing that, you're saying to yourself, why would somebody want to do that? Because that sounds a little risky to me. You don't do it to screw anyone over. Like, I'm trying to better their position, right? So I might walk somebody because I started them in second position and I might move them to first position, which is way better, right? I might take them from a property that's worth $2 million to a property that's worth $4 million, so they got $2 million of extra equity. Right? Do they have to approve it when you're walking it, moving it property to property? Yeah, sometimes yes, sometimes no. It just yeah. it just depends on the deal you work out with them, right? But you're doing it to help both sides. Like, it's a collaborative thing. You know, you're not fighting over it. You're okay. not trying to fight over it. So, But if you're negotiating seller financing debt, one thing that you're really trying to negotiate for is that it's a walkable loan. Like that's something yeah. that has to be written in the docs. It's yeah. not just because it's seller financing and didn't come from a bank that you get. Yeah. That. So it's just, I'm going to substitute that note collateral for something of equal or greater value. I'm going to take, if, you know, if you've got, if you're holding my note, I'm going to take you to something better. I'm going to upgrade you. Like Beyonce says, right? Just <laughs> let me, let me upgrade you. Right. So. So I'm going to, you know, say I'm paying you, you know, three, three grand a month. Hey, Chris, I don't know if you want to do this or not, but I've got, I, I can take you from second position to first position and on your crappy property that's worth a million to this property that's worth two million. Yeah. And, and, you know, instead of three grand a month, how about I give you four grand a month? Yeah. Like, and you, you don't have to pay Uncle Sam. If you said that, then I would say I'm Jay-Z. I got 99 problems in it and Beyonce ain't one. There you go. Exactly. Okay. I'm starting to kind of come around. It's, it's funny. It's like I've bought a lot of deals. I've never done any of this stuff. We've looked at the industry differently. Yeah. But you, we can do it either way. I agree. That's the great thing about this industry. There's yeah. a million ways yeah. to get what you want. It's It's, you know, maybe we'll title it like getting what you want, but. Okay, then the, on the seller financing, you come to me, you bought it. Let's cr- say we created a nine hundred thousand dollar note. Okay. Am I sending that note to some like servicing firm that's actually servicing the note, or do some of your sellers just service it themselves, or is there a law that it must be with a third party that collects and? Yeah, so you can do it either way. You can service your own note. You've got to, but you you're supposed to do it by the laws of the land, right? And that's gotten a little more tricky over the last. Mm, I'd say seven or eight years, but it's always good to have a servicer there because a servicer is going to keep way better books than mom and pop. So, and they don't, they don't cost that much. For sure. What do they cost? I mean, on a performing note, you can get a servicer for, I don't know, 15 to 30 bucks. And I would just Google like loan servicers and just call them and say, I got this note from the Miracle Man, Casey Miracle. Yeah. I'd, I'd help you find a servicer if you want it. Okay. Yeah. All right. You said I almost foreclosed on myself once. Yeah. I hear of people getting foreclosed on right. by others, but right. never somebody foreclosing on themselves. Yeah. Were so you, are you glutton for pun? Are you like punishing yourself? Or is I'm a bit there, of a there has sicko. to be a better story yeah. to this. Yeah. There's it's a, it's an okay story. So COVID happened, right? And I'm sitting there with this scratchy piece of land that I got in a hard money loan kind of gone wrong, right? And real quick. Yeah. 
Land, you lint on it. Yep. Borrower's going sideways. Yep. Okay. Borrower is a good friend and also sometimes partner of mine. Okay. So, you know, I'm not, uh, you don't always want to have a heavy hand, right? Yeah. So he basically said, hey, why don't you take it and you figure it out. Thanks. Thanks. And I was sitting there in COVID saying, hey, nothing is moving, right? Uh, even on the MLS. And I thought, well, how? How I'm willing to take a pretty substantial discount because I bought this thing, you know, at 50% of its value. So how can I quickly get a cash sale in COVID and not have to pay as much commission to a broker? Well, foreclose on yourself, obviously. I mean, that's the only, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way to go, right? So how does that work? Well, and in Texas, it takes it's even sh- shorter time frame. You know, in my state, you can foreclose for about twenty five hundred bucks. A broker is going to cost you four, five, six percent, right? So that's a savings. And I was willing to take a discount, and I wanted to get a cash sale auction. Well, foreclosure auctions were still happening in COVID in my area, so I knew that there would be thirty people at the auction. So I thought, okay, well. Why don't I just foreclose on myself? And then I can sell this thing in a month and a half. Okay. We're going to go through like a fifth grader. Okay. Why would you not have just listed this on the MLS and sold it that way? Because you didn't think that the buyers would be there. They were all at the foreclosure auction. No, I didn't think there was enough buyers to buy this scratchy piece of commercial land. I thought... I would, I may have one buyer. It was going to take me months, right? And so I wanted to speed up the process. Okay. Okay. So that with how quickly uh, foreclosures are in my state, that sped it up. I got to pay less commission, right? I get no commission and foreclosure cost me 2,500 bucks. So that's less than, <laughs> that's way less than I would have paid a broker. I wanted an auction style sale. And I wanted to get them lathered up to buy. So, yeah, that's, I, and I knew I'd have cash buyers, right? And I, and I could take a discount. It didn't bother me to take a discount. Okay. I'm just going to make up the scenario. Yeah. People probably listen to this going, man, Chris does real estate. <laughs> Your friend, I'm just making numbers up yeah. and you can correct me if I'm getting off deal no. here. He, let's just say he bought the land for a million bucks. Yep. You said, and, and your hard money loan to him was for what? 500. 500. Yeah. He says, Casey, I know we're buddies, but I can't make this happen anymore. Yep. Here's the keys, the yep. proverbial keys to the land that yeah. has no door. Yeah. And you say, great. Yeah. Your basis in the land is basically 500,000. Yes. You own the note. Do you also technically now you're in the ownership of the LLC that owns the land? Yes. So you're on both sides. Yes. Okay. Different entities. Different both, entities. Both, sides. both yeah. sides. Yes. And at that point, you also said, I don't even know if I can get 500 for this thing. Is that fair? No, I said, hey, fair market value is a, a million. Uh, oh, it was still a million. Yeah. Fair market value is a million. I could easily take 756 and ah. I'd still be happy. Right. And I'd still make a killing. Got it. Okay. I thought you were, okay. That's where I got tripped up. I sure. thought the value had like dipped below 500 and you were still foreclosing no, 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 on no, yourself. No, I, I was like, if, okay. If I'm going to get a hard money loan, it's good. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make sure that the, 
I'm buying well under value. Yeah. So why did, and he just, in that situation, he just couldn't make the payments anymore, even though it was worth a million bucks. He just got disinterested and yeah. couldn't find a buyer yeah. and thought I could do a better job. Yeah. Okay, maybe I do. And so what's interesting about that story, though, is started to foreclose, didn't get all the way there, had somebody else contact me about a hard money loan who's a commercial GC, and he says, hey, I heard you you do storage on occasion. I'd really like to do storage. I said, I've got the perfect piece of land for you, <laughs> and I'll take a big discount if you go, you know, you build it, you finance it, you manage it, I'll show you how to manage it. And we did that deal. And now there's a couple, I don't know, it's a couple million dollars self-storage facility that I got a piece of. Okay. How'd you structure that deal? So you had it, you said, I'll put the land in at X. Yeah. I put the land in it at X. No loan. It's your, it's equity that you're putting it in at. Yeah. Uh, well, I basically said, Hey, how, how would you like to not have to put any money in the deal, a no money down deal. You buy it, you finance it, you manage it. I'll take, I took a haircut. I, I think I took a hundred, $150,000 loss on it. Off the million. Uh, off the 500K. Oh, okay. Right? So you, th- you at 350? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I had something else that I sold that year and I, I made about that much. So I needed, I, need, I needed a loss. I'm yeah. a real estate professional. Right. And so I got a loss and, you know, now I've got a, a piece of this, of this thing and we're rolling down the road. That's great. Yeah. Turned out. Before I get too far away from seller financing, besides walkable, is there anything else interesting that you negotiate in seller financing notes that you just wouldn't see from a traditional lender besides everything? Like if, yeah, if like I had to say like, what are two or three things that stand out of things that you've thought to negotiate that. Yeah. So for instance, people on Twitter contact me and say, Casey, you know, I'm putting this into the mortgage calculator and even I can't make the payments. The payments don't work. Right. And so the payments don't work because the interest is too high. Right. And so they give up. So one thing they should think about is, you know, let's say the, the interest rate 6%, right? Well, one thing you could do is maybe you split it up and have 2% amortizing and 4% accruing, mm. right? So then your payments are low enough where you're going to cash flow, right? And you kick the can down the road, but the seller still gets, they still get their 6%, right? Right. So that's, that's something that you can do to, you know, grease the wheels, if you will. Okay. That's one. Anything else? I mean, there's a million things you can do. You can go. We can go through all million. You can go simple instead of compound. You can go interest only instead of amortizing. You can do reverse amortization. You can do, gosh, you can restructure the whole thing. Like this is a little bananas, right? But I, on occasion, you kind of get a three-legged stool, if you will, right? So let's say that you've got a seller that won't take a note, right? but you know a note buyer, right? And you want to transact. Well, uh, one thing you could do is, hey, note buyer brings the money to buy the note at closing, right? Uh, and, and, and yeah, and do kind of a, a three-legged deal. So buyer gets to buy, seller gets to sell, but won't finance. So you put the note buyer in the middle of it, right? Yeah. And so you can maybe get the whole deal done. So. so the seller doesn't actually have to hold the paper. Yeah. 
Now that's harder to do and you got to line up the money and you got to time it right. And so can I ask a dumb question? Why would you not just go to the the note buyer and say, why don't you just originate this note? Like, let's leave the seller out of it. Just originate it and it's yours. Why did they have to buy it from somebody if they're... They don't. You could do it that way. Okay. Yeah. Other question. You come to me, you say, we're back at that million dollar property. Yep. And I, you say, uh, would you sell or finance it? And I say, man, I'd love to, but I have $800,000 of debt on it already with a bank. Yeah. How do you work around that? Well... So you're going to have to pay off the bank. Okay. Unless it's uh, like a private lender, right? So if the deal still pencils, then you can do that, right? If the deal doesn't pencil, like I think 800 out of a million is probably, like I wouldn't buy that, right? Okay. Probably unless there was big upside or I knew I could do something to differentiate it to really juice the returns, Yeah. right? But if you said, hey, I've got 300, then I'd be like, hey, Chris, would you mind if I paid off your loan? Yeah. Okay. So your down payment would be 300. Yeah. My, my down payment is going to be at least 300, probably more than that. Cause I'm going to come to you and say, Hey, you know, you're going to want some money probably to do something else. Yeah. So, you know, maybe my down payment is 500, you know, could I, Chris, would you, would you give me financing if I came to you with a, like a monster down payment, like yeah. 50%? Yeah. Okay. Now I don't always do that. Right. But usually I'm between 20 and 50%. Okay. And that's, most brokers, you know, a year ago, when you talked to them, if you said seller financing, they said no. But if I'm going to come in with, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50%, then I'm heavy or heavier, you know, they, they give me a little more respect, I guess. So, yep. yeah. Okay. And I'm just assuming you don't really use traditional banks at all. Like that's not your business model. Yeah, I, I do. So I started, I syndicated a few deals a few years ago and that was fine and we're, we're doing just fine, but I don't love personally guaranteeing stuff with covenants that are tricky and non-specific or opaque, you yeah. know? So I will personally guarantee to somebody else where it is specific and not opaque, right? right? But I don't I don't love that if the bank is having trouble that they call you up and say, "Hey, you know, we want to renegotiate." That's and most notes if you actually read them, they can do that. Yeah, they can do that. I know guys, you know. So if you came to me again yeah. and you said, "I'm going to buy that property for a million. I've owned it for 30 years. It's on my depreciation uh, schedule like literally don't Even if you pay paid me a dollar, yeah. I'm paying to the government. Yeah. Is is the solution for me, I, I just got to go 1031. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that is the solution. And people come to me sometimes with that. And they're like, I don't know how to find what I need. Right. And so one thing that we do is help them find what they need. Right. Help them match up their needs as far as basis goes with a new property and yield. Right. And then from there, sometimes we even let them buy it back so they can start the depreciation schedule over again, right? Okay. And so buybacks, so buybacks and 1031s kind of go hand in hand and nobody's paying attention to that in real estate. Okay. And they should be. Okay, so you you come to me and you say, I, I want that million dollar property. And I said, look, I had a great dinner last night. I stayed at a Holiday Inn. I actually want 2 million for it now. Yeah. And you said, but... I think it's worth a million. Yep. <laughs> I think you might have a solution for how we might be able to get this still done. Yeah. 
yeah. to convince me to get off of two. How would you how would you propose that deal? Yeah. So if you're far apart, right, and the counterparty, the seller needs the money, right? You just say to them, hey, I'm at one, you're two. I'll do one and I'll let you buy it back within a year, two years, three years for 20% more. If you really are convinced that it's worth $2 million, you'll be back. Yep. If you aren't, then let's just agree that it was worth a million in the first place and you won't be back. And either one's fine. I don't care. So I right? could say it's worth $10 million. You'd say, great, then, but you should be wanting to buy it back for one point two. Yeah, that should be the greatest deal you've done in your lifetime. So that's an, I mean, that's an easy way to get there. And how do you paper that one up? Yeah, you just, well, you just do a regular PSA buy-sell agreement right. with an option to buy it back, right? And the buyback is 20% more than the original price per year, let's say. Because I don't want, like, I don't know about you, but I, like, I don't, I'm not, I don't lust for property. I lust kind of for money. Yeah. And so... I don't really care if I have that property in a year. Just pay me my 20%. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting married to any of the things you're buying. No. I like there's things I like more than other things, right? And there's things I'll hold that I that I like, and there's things that I won't hold that I don't like, right? So Honey, look at our Dutch bros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at it. She probably yeah. She's looked at some stuff and said, why did you buy I that? <laughs> well, Okay, but the question is the answer to that is I bought it because I didn't. I was not looking at the. You were looking at it through a pure finance lens. Yeah, obviously the collateral has to make up for has to be there, but that's part of the finance equation. Right. So uh, when you say pure finance, I would say my finance lens is probably rose colored as, as compared to some others. Did, but yeah, did you make up your rose colored finance lens, or did somebody teach you all this? No, I a uh, bunch of guys out of Tampa that came up kind of in the 70s and 80s taught me all this. Yeah. So my mentor is a guy named Jack Shea. He's still alive. He's the oldest qualified intermediary in Florida. And I contacted him. He gave he he mailed me a course and I emailed him back a digital version. And he said, we we can save on stamps. And uh -huh. that is a beautiful relationship since then. He's a great dude. So if I said, what do you know that most people in real estate don't know, what would your answer be? Oh, man. Boy, that's a heavy question, Chris. Well, uh, and, and, what, and I'll give you, I'll let you think about it, is just basically that rose-colored lens that you look at the industry through, even myself. Yeah. If you look, I've been doing this 18 years. All I've ever done is buy and sell property. Yeah. I buy the whole thing. Yeah. Nobody's ever owned or financed to me. Yep. I got banks all over town. Yeah. They're awesome. I've just never thought about the business, but you have clearly built a niche. So it's like, what is that Rose lens telling you that the average real estate investor just isn't thinking about? I think the average real estate investor is a short-term versus a long-term thinker. Okay. And you're a long-term thinker. I'm long-term on days that I need to be. And on days that I need to sell for cash tomorrow, I'm kind of a short-term thinker, right? I can be either, but I, like my preference is, is to be a long-term thinker. Yes. So are you building a portfolio of property or a portfolio of loans? Yeah. Both? Yeah. All the above? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And some you keep and some you sell. Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on the day, right? And so, you know, so I'm an opportunist. So when 
an opportunity arises, I might not have the money, right? And so I've got to either go sell something, right? Or derivative something, essentially, right? Yeah. And so how do I, you know, I think to myself, okay, well, I need a million dollars. How do I get that? Now I can make a phone call for a million dollars. Maybe the seller finance for a million dollars. Maybe I could sell something I have for a million dollars. Maybe you got a mortgage something I have for a million dollars. Maybe you got option something I have for a million dollars. Maybe I could create a contract or a wrap for something of a million dollars. So I'm just... What does derivating something mean? Yeah, just, well, like an option, right? An option's kind of a... It's not really a, a buy-sell. You don't own a property, right? You own a contract to buy a property. Yeah. So you've got the right, but not the obligation to buy. And yeah, so you don't, you don't own a property. You don't really own a note, but you own this piece of paper that says, I've got, I've got a chance to do something with it. Right? Correct. Yeah. And why would that be valuable? Cause you think you got it under contract for less than it's worth. Yeah. So, well, you used to be, you used yeah. to assemble land, right? Yeah. Would you rather buy or option? option all day right sure. because then you your cost of capital is so much lower right For sure and so if you option something you're saying essentially hey we're going to agree on a price i'm going to give you some option consideration which is kind of like earnest money but you don't get it back right yeah. and you know give me some time it's like layaway at walmart you might be too young for layaway Hey, let's put it on layaway at Walmart, right? So you go in, you pay your $5, you know, every month, or maybe you pay a big lump sum payment and they hold it for a year or two. And then you come back once you've assembled all the land or all the parcels and you sell it to somebody else for more and make a boatload of money. I like that. Yeah. I, I bet you do. I'd like to hear a story about that. <laughs> we we could we could tell them. I, I would tell you, I think when you're assembling, especially if you're assembling residential. But really anything, one of the best piece of advice I ever got was it's a guy here in town. He would go run all the title at the title company, have it done, yep. know it was clean yep. before he ever even contacted if, yeah, the seller. There's no use. He'd put up 50 grand of earnest money at the title company and he'd call that seller and he would say, if you'll sign this contract in the next 48 hours, you can go immediately and take that 50 grand yeah. and we'll close in a week. And it's amazing what cash today can do to somebody if you're negotiating. Yeah. And now is a great time to do that move. What are you seeing in the market right now? I mean, I think most people listening, like rates are up, but what's your rosy lens showing right now? What are, what is your niche sub-institutional world yeah. going through right now? Okay. So I'll say this. I'm not a macro economist, right? And no, I don't have a crystal ball, but it seems like rates are going up. It seems like banks aren't lending. So there's a liquidity kind of squeeze. It seems like all of the COVID stimulus money is running out. So consumers don't nearly have the money in their bank accounts they used to have, right? Which kind of all points to pain coming. And I'm seeing some of that start already. I'm sure you are too. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I don't wish for pain, but I do like to buy distressed stuff, full disclosure. Um, You're the doctor. Well, I mean, if I can get a discount, I like a discount. Yeah. So, But what I'll say is, I mean, people contact me all the time to kind of figure out how to fix things. And so, like, I try to help them fix things. So, but I, I like, 
doctor can't help you if somebody stabbed you right in the heart, you know? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. there are limits. So is the, is the phone starting to ring? Yes. And is it mostly, I need cash? Is it mostly, I'm underwater on this property? Is it all the above? Like, what? What? why are people starting to call? Yeah, I need cash. I'm underwater on this property. My loan's maturing. I, my loan's maturing. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I've been getting a lot of my loan's maturing. Okay, so I just called you, Casey. My loan's maturing. Yeah. I need help. Yeah. What's your first few questions for me? Because clearly in that situation, it's one thing for a buyer to approach a seller. Yeah. And the seller is kind of sitting in the driver's seat. They don't really have to sell. Right. But now the tables are turning and the seller's calling the buyer. Yeah. So I call you and I'm like, dude, my loan's maturing next year. Yeah. What are the first few questions you're going to start asking me? I'm going to ask you where it is so I can figure out what it's worth. Right. Okay. And I might ask you what it's worth, but I'm not going to believe you. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I'd ask, you know, what what's the debt situation look like? Do you have one loan? Do you have two loans? What are your balances on the loans? How long do you have? You know, do you have cash? So that's something that people don't think about. But I've had plenty of people that are willing to pay their way out of trouble. And you should be asking people to pay their way out of trouble if you've got a step in the quicksand. So... Do you have other properties, right? So sometimes if a deal's underwater, I like what I can't do anything, right? Do you have something else we can leverage or derivative or mortgage or you can sell to get there, right? Or do you know somebody else that will do that for you? Oh. And that happens sometimes. Okay. So will you go through the example of you've you've written this on Twitter, but I'm asking a million yeah. why you might pay me a million too? to get a deal done, why you would actually pay more than I'm asking, but it's still a good deal for you? Yeah, because I can get long-term cheap financing to you is, is the answer to that, right? Okay. And so there's Because no, it's a walkable... Well, and that helps too, right? Because that's like, it's kind of cherry cherry on the, on the ice cream, right? So cherry on top. But yeah, I know I can make it up in the financing. And there's two ways in real estate to make money. You can flip, or you can buy and hold. I don't know of other ways. I mean, you, you can finance, I guess, but let's put financing to the side, right? So if you flip, you're in the PE model, you've got to burn and churn as quickly as possible. You, you try to raise the value and you get your 200 bips and you're in and out and you go on to the next one, right? But people forget about cash flow. Like, hey, if if you and I are going after the same deal and you can pay a million and I can pay 1.2, guess who's getting the deal? Me, right? Now, and the way I'm going to do it, I'm going to cash flow way better than you with your 8% debt when I have my debt at 4%. Yep. And I'm going to be laughing at you all the way. Yep. And you're going to say, how'd that thief do it, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you ever negotiate less? You, you keep going back to 4%. Are you, you ever doing oh, yeah. even less than that? Yeah. Yeah. I try for less. Have you, know? you ever done a zero interest loan? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was walkable. Yes. 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 <laughs> All right. If I told you we've covered um, a few things, but what's another, I want to spend like my question here on my piece of paper is give me like two or three really creative ways to get things done that you've seen or that you've done that we have not covered yet. Really creative ways to get things done. And if you want to hint at the one we were 
discussing before yeah. or create oh, well, a me, simulation I'll, of yeah, that. Yeah, I'll I'll create a simulation of that, right? So let's say Me, uh, you, and Johnny. Here's the party. Me, you, and Johnny. All right. We're all in it together. Okay. Johnny's the bank. Okay. Okay. A real bank or uh, any type of bank? No, Johnny can be a real bank or he can be a lender, okay. right? And let's say that let's say that I've defaulted on my mortgage, right? And you you want to buy it. Okay. So one thing that I think is pretty interesting is that, Chris, maybe you say to, to Johnny, hey, you're asking me to pay full market value par for that, that note that Casey, that scumbag, isn't paying on, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're right, one, but you're not going to do that because why would you pay full market value for you know, the full balance on something that's not paying. It doesn't make sense, right? Right. So maybe you go and you say to yourself, but hey, I will, I will do something else. Like you can either lend me 4X the principal balance of this. So this is a nice way to get something financed that you traditionally couldn't, right? So let's say you have a piece of development land and you you want to get it financed for some reason or the, the other. Like they'll lend you the money on terms that you really like, maybe without a personal guarantee because you're a heavy signer, right? Mm-hmm. That's a way to get financing terms that you really like, buy something that you think you could do something with, right? And maybe make a little money on, maybe not, maybe you break even. And real quick, yeah, there's a friend that owns a piece of land yeah, and I'm going to them and I'm putting paper on that land. You Well, no, not in, not in this scenario. We okay. aren't there. We okay. aren't there yet. So okay. this is just, Hey, you saying to the bank, I'll take your problem. I'll take your problem at par, but you're going to lend me four times the problem I got on you. terms that I like, that I, I write. I got you. Okay. Yep. So your personal guarantee is gone. Sorry. Yep. But you're going to get me as a heavy signer. Yep. Right. And I'll take care of your problem. Right? Got it. The other thing you could do is maybe you say to them, hey, let's do a trade. I'll trade you one or more notes that I have for your problem note. And if you want to trade at par, that's fine, but I want to trade at par too, right? But my notes or note is worth more than yours. So, you know, if, Chris, if you go to Starbucks and you hand the barista a 20 and say a venti, what do you get back? Change. Change. Ask the bank for change. I mean, this day and age, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. But we used to, yeah. So, and let's say uh, in that scenario, the defaulted note that I wasn't paying on is a million dollar balance and the note that you can buy somewhere else is a $3 million balance, right? But let's say you could get that note for, you know, I don't know, $500 off. You can go source performing notes for less, right? And maybe those aren't the right numbers, but just Roll with me here yeah. in the example, right? So $1 million bad note, $3 million good note. Yeah. So basically, instead of getting the discount on the de- defaulted note, you're getting a nice discount on the performing note and trading them. And sometimes you can do it so so well where you can pay for the performing note and the non-performing note if you can get a, a big enough discount and the bank will play ball. And what's in it for you? Well, what's in it for you is, is that you just, you might've got a free whatever that that defaulted note is on. Just 
out of thin air. How? Because when the bank comes in to buy your note, let's make it bigger. Let's make it, your note is $7 million, okay? Or the note that you can buy is $7 million and the note that's defaulted is one, right? Let's say you can buy that $7 million note for six. Well, the bank comes to escrow essentially, pays seven because they're paying full face value, right? But you're really paying six. You're using their money to pay six because you got you negotiated a good discount, and then you get this the defaulted thing for free. And so the only thing, the only nuance to what you just said is being able to negotiate a seven million a seven million dollar good note for six million bucks. Yeah. If you don't do that. Yeah, but but. I mean, make the note bigger and make the discount smaller. But you keep saying make the note this. What do you mean make the note? Like you're I just... mean, either find it or create it. Okay. Now let's talk about creating it. Yeah. How do you just go create a note? Well, if you'll give me an address, I can create a note on your property right now. But I have to go... own it free and clear. No, you don't. I can just go and record it and you won't know about it for a while. But you shouldn't do that. That's fraud. Okay. Okay. So... <laughs> Just so you know, we're going to have to slap on the disclaimer before this comes out. (laughs) Okay, but let's assume we're buddies and I have this piece of free land. I have a land free and clear and you're in this situation. You come to me and you say, hey, what? Hey, Chris, what are you making on your land right now? I'm losing money. I'm paying property taxes. I got to mow it. Insurance, maybe. Insurance. Yeah. How would you like to make money on it? Oh, it'd be amazing. Okay. You know, what if I... asking. Yeah, well... You know, what if I give you a, you know, 5% a year, right? On, you know, $3 million. You know? You'd do that for me? Why? Why? Because I want to put a mortgage on your property. Oh, wow. But I'm free and clear. I don't, this yeah. is getting complicated you're, you're now. You're free and clear, but we're friends, right? Okay. So you don't do this with counterparties you don't know, okay? okay. That, like, like, you're only doing this with people you've done business for that you know, like, and trust, Okay, right? And so I, I say, hey... Let me give you some money. Let me put this note on your property short term because I'm probably walking it from, I'm going to walk it from where it is now to something else that does make money because I don't want to pay you 5%. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just need a, a short-term parking space. But you're, are you technically owning the property then when you put that collateral on there? Or I still own no, it? No, you still own it. Okay. I'm going to make the payments on it. So you're ah. not going to even have to make the payments on it. I'll, ma- I'll make payments to you. I'll make payments on the note. Okay. Okay. Now you just got to make sure that I stay alive. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, uh, and the, I do what I say I'm going to do. Okay. So we, so I say, okay, I trust you, Casey. Yeah. Let's do that. Yep. Then what do you do? Well, then what I try to do is go, f- like I said, I, I'll try to go find another property that's income producing. So I don't have to pay you the 5%. The property will pay for the note that we, that I originated. Right. And then I'll move it off of you. I'll move it to a different income producing property. So I cut you out. So you made your 5% for a year. I cut you out. I move it to another property that's, you know, that's a 10 cap, right? And now I'm I'm cash flowing with cheap debt. All right. Rewind? No. It's just <laughs> when you say you're so when you say you're moving it to another property, yeah. do you own the property you're moving it to or does that even matter? Yeah, I'll try to do it on a property that I own, right? But you know, but let's say because if you were going to come buy something from me yeah. and you're like, I already got financing for it, you don't really because you'd still have to come up with the money to give it to me. Yeah. You, you know what have, I mean? You have to have the the money somewhere. Yeah. So where does that come from? Well, if you're just moving it around, if 
You're clearly just moving I'll it to stuff you I'll sell something else. I might sell something else. But let's say I've got an 8% note on something else, yeah. right? And I can get 4% on the note that we're talking about, right? So I say to myself, okay, I will sell something and pay off the 8% note and I'll move the 4% note to that. So I'm, I'm definancing is what they call it, right? So it's not refinancing, it's definancing. It's, it's getting, it's moving mortgages to make your debt cheaper. That's one that you won't hear on uh, anywhere else, uh, probably. Yeah, but it's fun. So think of all the things, Chris, right now. So if we go back got, to that situation, though, where the bank has the million-dollar note and you're trading something with the bank. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm trading something with the bank. You would give them that $3 million note that you're paying on and collateralizing? I could. I could. And they would give you what? Well, hopefully change. If their, their note was a million and mine was three, hopefully they give me two and change. Right? They literally just give you. Yeah. Yeah. And then I take that too and I go buy something else and I move the note that was on your property to that. And But I thought the note that was on your property was already at the bank had it. Uh, I think we're confused now. I'm, okay. I'm not well, sure. We I think we, went, we went way down the rabbit hole. <laughs> okay. I don't know where to go because I, uh, I think I missed a step. I think I missed a step. I, I think you're, you're doing it right. I got the bad note from the bank. You got the bad note from the bank. Okay. You created a note on a friend's piece of property. Yep. And then the bank bought that from you for yeah. $3 million. Yeah. Well, $2 million and they gave me the old note. Correct. Right. Yeah. But then you said something like, okay, then I would move the note and go do the next thing. Which note are you moving? Oh, the, I, the bad million dollar note? No, the the created note. I, oh. I might move that. Yeah. Okay. The the bad note, well, I'm probably going to try to value add or sell that. Right. Yeah. And recoup my money or maybe do a little better or maybe do a little worse. I don't know. Just depends. But I, I'm I'm saying to myself, okay, if I've got a walkable mortgage for 4%, what other mortgages do I have that are for more than 4%? I got it now. When they bought that note from you, you're still paying the bank. Yeah. So you're just saying, I'm yeah, I get yeah, it. I, I, I'm saying what else how can I improve my position, right? Yeah, and if I've got, you know, five, six, up to 8% on something else, can I sell something and move that mortgage I just created over to basically definance the property? So instead of 8%, I'm paying four. So it's just another move. I'm sorry, I went way down there. No, you hole. did. Okay, it's good. So then what happened to the friend all along the way? Yeah, so the friend, I probably paid for a while, right? Yeah. And then I just... I moved it off of there and I stopped paying him. And he's still got his same land free and clear. He just doesn't have income anymore. And that $2 million that you get is basically borrowed. It's basically you're it's borrowing. borrowed. Yeah, you I'm, owe that back. Yeah, I'm yep. borrowing at cheap rates. Yeah. Okay, I brought it home. I landed yeah, the you plane. you got it, man. But you that's creative. It. Now, the things that have to go happen in that situation is obviously you have to have a friend that's willing to do that. Yep. You have to have a bank that's willing to buy that note. Yep. And they're and they're willing to do that because they got a problem child that you're going to take off their hands. Yeah, I'm going to solve. And the they're problem. getting a bigger note, but it's secured by the something mir- better, the or man. yeah, or a, with a heavy signer, right? So they like it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you got it. That was not easy, man. You went down the rabbit hole, yeah. I, dude. <laughs> I it takes me a little bit, but I I you landed that plane there. I got it. Okay. All right. Anything else? Any other cool 
Um, so can we talk about 1031 exchanges you for a minute? Talk about whatever you want. Okay. So the so I have this discussion with a strip mall guy. Okay. And he refuses to 1031. Okay. And I don't blame him. I understand why he refuses to because he is in the institutional world and it doesn't make sense in the institutional world. But something like 60% of 1031s fail, right? And I hate that for brokers and I hate that for sellers. I mean, we've talked a lot about buying, but I, you know, I'd like to help out the sellers and the brokers. Okay. So 60% fail. So people are paying a lot of taxes and I really don't like people paying taxes. Right. And so from time to time, people call me and say, Hey, can you help me place a 1031? Right. And I, I try to help them if I can. A couple things. You can solve your problem with planning and lowered expectations, right? So what do I mean by planning? So uh, if you think you're going to 1031, you should start today on trying to find a replacement property. And if you've got a buyer that comes in, you should lease option that property to said buyer to give you time to find something. You can do that. You can do a reverse exchange. So if you find something you love, buy it and then reverse exchange into it. Okay. So that's the planning part. The lowered expectations part is people call me and they're like, I've got 15 days left. I need a hundred multifamily units. It's got to have, it's got to be a 10 cap. It's got to be core. Let me just make that up right off the top of the bat. It doesn't happen. Right. So lowered expectations. What we often try to do is, Hey, we're going to find you another property where the value is there, right? If you've got a $10 million, 1031, we're going to find you something that's $10 million or more that you can safely get off the clock to. You're not going to like it. You're going to save the $3 million in profit that the government isn't taking. So chill temporarily, right? So we put some somebody in something temporarily. We try to meet their yield needs, right? We tell them to pound sand on the asset class because it doesn't matter. Now, if you're institution, probably can't do this. I get it. Yeah. But if you're not, just get off the clock for a year, you know, a year, maybe more, and we'll buy it back, right? But we'll buy it back from you once you find a replacement property. Yeah. So... So you get off the clock. Yeah. You you don't you don't have to sweat and worry about finding that great deal, right? Mm -hmm. You go find something else that is really juicy, right? And you wait. Like you got to wait a little bit, but then you don't pay the tax if you just lower your expectations a little bit. Okay. I think the thing that I that's most impressive about all this, and maybe it's just because I haven't done it, is like you're able to create quite a bit of trust with people that you don't know to go do these things that probably aren't like I've been in this industry for 18 years. I don't understand most of this stuff. Yeah. You're talking about mom and pa that have owned something for a while. Yeah. They don't even know what a cap rate maybe is. Sure. And so I I don't know the how question other there? than like, how do you get to trust that quickly? Like, how do you get people to do these things that would seem like things that I'd have to convince my family over three Thanksgivings to do? Sure. Well, so for the 1031 example, you just say, would you like it if I saved you all those taxes? And it's $3 million in taxes, yeah. right? It's not going to be exactly what you want, but it will get you off the clock and you can go to something else. 
right? So for all of the other stuff we talked about, I mean, it's it's kind of it's typically a greed thing, right? I just say, hey, can I pay you more money? Yeah, and I've hardly ever had somebody argue with me about paying more money. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah, usually they're okay with that. So that's how I used to feel when I would cold call building owners. It's like I never understood why they would get pissed. I'm like, I'm literally just calling asking if I can give you money. I'm not trying to sell you life insurance. Yeah. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm literally just trying to give you a bag of money for yeah. what you own. How would you like to be pistol whipped with a brick of $100 bills? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. The one Twitter question that I thought was interesting, because I think we've covered really the rest was, and, and I think we've actually kind of covered this, but if, if, there's a, if there's more to add to this, can he explain in simple terms the concept of creating debt and then making money off the debt rather than the deal? Making money off the debt rather than the deal. Yeah. Let's talk about a wrapping a mortgage, right? What's that? So wrapping a mortgage is essentially kind of putting two mortgages into one, right? So think of like burlap bag full of sand, right? Or let's say a bag of sugar, a little bag of sugar, right? That's the first mortgage, right? And then we take a burlap bag full of sand and wrap it around the bag of sugar. That's the second mortgage, right? Yeah. So if you create financing, right? And let's let's use the same example we've been using at 4% rate, right? And then you can wrap that mortgage to someone else. And this is pretty easy to do right now, like on houses, right? So a bunch of people have 4% mortgages. Let's take, let's say you could take title subject to that mortgage. You wrap that second mortgage, the, the burlap bag of sand by another 2%, right? And you go and sell it to somebody else. Well, if you mark it up 2%, they're at 6%. 6% is less than 8% they can get on debt right now. So their payments are way lower than they would be normally. Somebody's going to love that deal you've essentially created financing to give you a spread uh, from where rates were a year or two ago to, you know, rates now a little less than where rates are now. So that's an example. Okay. If anybody listening to this wants to get in touch with you or might have an opportunity, yeah, how would they reach you? Yeah. Just on Twitter, okay. uh, Casey Miracle, C-A-S-E-Y. M-E-R-I-C-L-E. Yeah. yeah. Reach out to me. Let me know if I can help you. I can't solve everybody's problems, but you give me a shot. I might, I might have a, one or two things for you that might work. Thank you for today. This was yeah, awesome. I, hey, can I say one more thing? Yeah. So we can keep going. You don't know this, but like I've been listening to you for a long time. Right. And one thing that I, I'm, I'm amazed and happy about is you have brought to me a ton of knowledge that I wouldn't otherwise have got. And I don't think you know how much I like knowledge. <laughs> so like, and I don't know how many, how many episodes are you into this? This will be like three, 320, maybe 320. So what I want to say to you, you don't know me very well, right? But I want to say thanks, man. Like what you do is awesome. I'm fired up about it. If you can pull one idea away, I mean, it can be, it can be life-changing. It so. can. Yeah. Well, dude, I, it means a lot. It's why I do this. Yeah. 
I get to meet amazing people yeah. along the way. Selfishly, it's like I tell people I'm an audience of one sometimes. Like if I'm learning and, and into it, yeah, I'm winning. Yeah. And if other people find it interesting and, you know, I think even with you, you've got now, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of people following you. Yeah. And I think there's a responsibility to that to some degree. Yeah. I think they made a mistake, but, <laughs> but there is, yeah, there is a responsibility for sure. That. And yeah. I feel a heavy responsibility in a really good way. And so it means a lot. You tell me that yeah. keeps me going. All right, man. Th great. Thanks for doing this with me today. I appreciate you inviting me. Really do. All right. Call the doctor. Call the doctor. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Fort Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform or hop on over to YouTube to watch full video episodes if that's what you prefer. For more information, you can check out thefortpod.com.